Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. Welcome to season three. Oh, my gosh, I cannot believe we are here. It has been a journey, as anything that we love always is, but I am so grateful to be back with you all. For those who are joining us for the first time, I just want you to know that you are already a part of the Human Human family. And for those who are back, thank you for your constant support and love. Welcome back to Human to Human, a space to reimagine self-love, strengthen interpersonal relationships, and peel back the layers of the human experience, one conversation at a time. Season three of Human to Human is brought to you by the Revolt Podcast Network. Yeah, I can hear y'all clapping in the background. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and this season, we are definitely exploring and redefining our realities. And today's episode sets the tone. Here's why. Everything that we are witnessing right now, like for you all who are listening, if you're sitting on a table or a chair, you have on clothes or whatever, look around. Every single thing that you are looking at, sitting on, experiencing was once a thought, was once an idea in someone's head. Mm -hmm. And design is the tool that brought it into reality. But it was all immaterial, meaning that we are literally existing in embodied thought. We're just walking around in solid ideas. That's it. Wow. And that is just a snapshot. Multi-hyphenate artist Dariel Kalmiz shares his ideas on intention, expanding consciousness, and how necessary it is to stay curious about the world around us, especially in order to be present. Yeah, so we're starting the season off getting right to the human of the matter. Okay, so in every episode, I like to share a song to add to your playlist, a book to check out, and a reflection question inspired by the episode that you're about to hear. So let's get into it. This episode's song of the week is This World by Zero Seven. This week's book is Essentialism is a Humanism by Jean-Paul Sartre. And while you're listening, reflect on this question. In the spirit of self-evolution, what will you do now knowing what you now know? Now. Let's get human to human with Dario Calmes. Oh my God, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Human to Human. Ah, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. You are welcome. You're welcome. Now, a lot of people describe you as a very multi-hyphenate creative. They have a lot of descriptions, and of course, your accomplishments definitely, you know, make those make sense. But I'd love to first start with how you describe yourself and who is Dario. Um, you know, it's interesting. This is always like the, um, uh, like probably the toughest question to answer. Um, you know, and people are like, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, I do me. And, you know, like, <laughs> you know, how would you describe yourself? Like, what's your occupation? And my occupation is like becoming Dario. Mm-hmm. Um, but how that flushes out in the world is really just in, I think, what, holds it all is an artist, right? Which means for me, like someone who is taking um, a really hard, deep look at the world and trying to reflect it back to itself. Um, And, you know, really using stories to do that and whichever medium best tells that story. So sometimes that is through photography, um, which lends itself to like commercial application. Um, Sometimes that's writing. Um, sometimes that's directing a fashion show. Um, sometimes that is curating an art exhibition. Sometimes that's doing my own 
exhibition. Um, and so it's really, you know, and then now kind of design, like moving into the space of design. So um, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I do and how I move. But, you know, ultimately, um, it's a discovery of myself, I think, um, you know, in working with, you know, different brands and co-creating with like institutions, it pulls, it pulls more out of me as well, right? Like mm. it is a mutual um, exchange um, and hopefully a mutual impact, right? Like yeah. hopefully I can impact and then be impacted at the same time. Right, right, right. So before you put on the artist's coat or the artist's armor, who are you before that? You know, like we, I see who you are in terms of what you do and how you are impacting the world and how I feel like the world is impacting you. But before you have to step out as an artist, what are those basic things that make Dario Dario in his daily routine, in his, in the, in the boredom of what life can be sometimes? What are those little things that also make you up? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, even the term artist is something that I shied away from for a very long time mm -hmm. in just kind of defining myself in that way. Um, you know, but who who am I outside of it or what were what were those moments um prior to maybe owning that or taking that mantle on? I think, you know, ultimately a level of curiosity um pure curiosity in the world and I was kind of thinking back uh maybe this morning or even yesterday about like those early indicators of something else right so for instance starting as early as elementary school like in the fourth grade I would go around to schools like reciting this like kind of <laughs> epic black history poem there's this black history poem that we learned in in school uh which is interesting because i did go to predominantly like white institutions my whole life but there was this like four page like epic poem that i memorized i guess i don't know why or how mm -hmm. i memorized it but i did um and then i started performing it at all of these schools around the country and not the country oh my god the city um and i remember like getting my first like 25 dollar check and i thought i was rich um and then just those other um you know moments i think of exhibition of talent which i think really kind of come from curiosity so starting i started performing professionally when i was 15 and i really had no idea what i was doing like i started performing in theater in junior high um, in high school, so starting in kind of the seventh grade, then I heard about these auditions at this place in St. Louis called the Muni, which is, quote unquote, America's largest and oldest outdoor theater. Uh, mm -hmm. It sees like 14,000 people. But I went uh, to audition when I was 15, had no idea what I was getting into. Um, learned how to do a double pirouette, like on the spot. There was a wonderful young woman, Hetty Barnhill, who I still know, uh, who taught mm. me how to do uh, a double pirouette. And boom, I was like in the show and off and running. And so that kind of, you know, performance um, uh, arm of, of my career began then kind of at 15. So I think, you know, ultimately just following a level of curiosity and being willing to step into the unknown 
um, maybe something just beyond your skill set, yeah. um, and then seeing what happens. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that answer the question? I'm sure there's more, but yeah, but I mean, it brings me to because I think when you are so open and willing to start discovering your curiosity, especially at a young age, I now want to know. Okay, what's your upbringing like? Was curiosity yeah. <laughs> supported? Was curiosity something that was exciting in your upbringing? Were your parents excited about curiosity, or were they? Was that something that they said, "Hey, you don't need to know about that. You're a young guy." You know, you know. I, I think about in some black families, it was on ah, stay out of grown folks' business, and then in other black families, it was like, "No, go run with the wild, right?" And and that's always really interesting to me too. So what upbringing is closer to how you were able to start following that curiosity for you? Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really lucky that my parents really let me explore my curiosity. Sometimes I ask them like, what did you all think with this like little boy who was like, asking for like telescopes and like chemistry sets and like, Mm. you know, just super kind of weird and curious. And they just kind of went with it. You know, Um, my parents, um, I'm originally from St. Louis, Missouri. uh, Like I stated before. Shout out to Um, Missouri. I went to University of Missouri, by the way. Oh, which one? I went to Mizzou, Columbia. Ah, Columbia. Okay, dope. So, um, you know, like very kind of like American nuclear family, like mm. grew up in like 1950s track housing suburbs of St. Louis, mother, father, daughter, dog got hit by a car, like very straightforward. Um, my dad um, was a pastor. They're both alive, but retired. Mm-hmm. So my dad was a pastor and then also a substance abuse therapist. Um, and my mother was a nurse and a seamstress, um, and is now a stand-up comedian, but that's a whole nother story. Um, so that was my upbringing. Um, and like I said, you know, went to predominantly um, white, like elementary and high schools. And it was interesting because we used to live. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In um, East St. Louis, which is actually on the other side of the river, um, in, a, in an area called Washington Park, and we moved uh, the summer between my first and second grade. And I distinctly remember being made fun of when I went to school in the second grade and that these white kids were very clear in correcting like the way that I spoke um the things that I spoke about like you know I mean it was a really kind of culture shock uh to move to like you know the white suburbs from from Washington Park um but you know my parents like I said you know let me explore my curiosity. Shout out to my mother, who was always kind of working on my behalf to allow my father to, you know, let me, you know, start piano lessons and, you know, to let me, you know, be a part of this club at school or to do this theater thing. Like she was really kind of my quiet advocate there. Um, and my dad kind of took to it after a while after he, he actually took me to an audition once that my mother couldn't um, for a commercial and he saw me audition and was like, whoa, right. like you got this, whatever this is, like you got it. 
And so from then on, he's always been like an incredible supporter. Um, and even if when we didn't have, you know, necessarily the means to, um, you know, do everything like so piano, like, you know, playing piano, like then you have to buy a piano and mm-hmm. pianos are not cheap, you know? So I would rehearse at the hospital where my dad, um, you know, was a therapist, like in the music therapy room and God bless those nurses who would just listen to this 11 year old in the piano room trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, just always a lot of support there. Yeah. What was 11 year old Dario trying to explore about himself and, and what did you find or, or have you found it? Um, well, you know, it's interesting because I think as a child growing up in, uh, you know, a talented black family, um, even though none of my relatives were professionally exploring the arts. I mean, somewhere like I had an aunt who was a background singer um, and my grandmother, who is really the font of it all, like she is the source of all the creativity and her children all got it. And they kind of like compare like who got what gifts, but <laughs> it's really her. Um, you know, she was this, she's a ceramicist and a painter and, you know, a pianist, you know, and a singer and like a writer. And so she's always just been very creative. Um, but when you grow up, you know, everybody in my family could sing. Like when we would have like a family reunion, when we'd all gather to Memphis or whatever, like my family would become the choir. Like we would have choir rehearsal at family reunions. Like it was like a thing. So... <laughs> Like, I just never really thought anything of it. Like, I never thought that it was anything special. Um, And so, you know, me playing piano was just like, well, your grandmother plays piano and you seem to have a musical gift. So let's, you know, explore that. Um, And I did always have this belief or concept that God endows you with talent. And then it's up to you to like nurture and hone it. So, you know, once there's a natural kind of um, propensity, right, that you recognize. So, for instance, um, when I spoke about, you know, learning how to do a double pirouette, like at the audition, like I saw that, okay, there's a natural dance ability. So then how do I train this? How do I hone this? So then I started dance lessons and I started tap and ballet and like, you know, because there was this natural propensity, right? There was this natural, you know, propensity for music and playing piano. So then we start piano lessons. There was a natural propensity, you know, for singing. There was a gift there. So then how do we hone that? So then I start, you know, voice lessons. So that's kind of how I've always navigated um, the world. Yeah. I don't know. Does that get at it? It does. No, you ah. you are on a natural, natural curiosity. And, and that's what I really love about your work and, and also how you describe your work. You're very clear about how we as human beings need to question the world around us and not passively experience it. Right. And I think this version of me is so I resonate with that deeply, but there was a version of me that really didn't because I was afraid of my curiosity and afraid of the things mm. that were around me. Right. And I wonder for you, were there anything that you, was there anything that you were afraid of questioning before you questioned it? Or is there still anything that you're like, yes, yes, yes. Oh, have a question that not yet. Not ready. Is there anything you've been afraid of questioning? Mm, I am not sure. Um, is there, you know, a curiosity or a subject or something that I felt I couldn't 
yet tackle? Um, not really. Like, you know what I mean? Like, not mm-hmm. really. Like, mm-hmm. I think, because because I think it's about what is the intention, right? Like, what is the intention? And if the intention is, like, questioning to, like, confront or change, that's one thing. I think if the intention is questioning in order to understand, mm. then that's another. And I think that my questioning has always come from a place of just wanting to understand, wanting to get to the bottom of something, um, you know, and as I get older, I realize how much of that was really birthed in my childhood um, in just a level of understanding the way that human beings work. Like I remember even in elementary school, like I would intentionally like push teachers to like just see them snap because I was like, if I don't see you lose this composure, then I don't trust you. Like if I can't see the real you, like I don't trust you. It's really interesting. I totally used to do that. I used to totally push my teachers to like the limit. And then I'd be like, okay, cool. You're a real person. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Did you know that's what I you were know. doing at the time? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, kind of. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I, you know, but I will also say like, you know, I've always been interested in, because I'm interested in getting to know people, not who they present themselves to be. Mm-hmm. And so I always really saw my teachers as humans first who happened to teach. And I think that that allowed for a kind of parity in conversation because I'm asking you questions about who you are versus like your occupation, which then I think, you know, as an adult, I kind of have a bit of resistance to that because people want to address you as your work versus like who you are and what they're really asking or what they're really trying to glean is how do you fit on this hierarchy of value um, and what is the level of production or, or, and what value do you have to capital production, right? That's really what people are asking when they ask Mm -hmm. you what do you do versus who are you, right? Because there is, because who I am and what I do are two different things. And if you're approaching me from the place of what I do, then you're actually never going to actually get to me because you're just looking at the output and versus the essence, right? And I'm very much interested in the essence. I'm interested in the person who can do this or do that. now, now I've just gone off on a whole. Well, no, I, I, I love that because it's such a, it's such a, it's such the, it's the heart of the show, right? It's called human to human for a reason. Mm. It was birthed out of my version of, wow, this, what do you do versus who you are thing is getting really interesting. And at the same time, I recognize when I know what somebody does, I think part of me, you know, when we, let's say you and I are both in the same creative space, there's some kind of relatability there because we have dedicated our lives to something that is pretty similar, which means we must have interesting, same, same thoughts, not, let me, let me not say same thoughts, same interest, same focuses, maybe same discoveries or curiosities. And at the same time, I recognize that's only one part of us. Right. And I've seen where, like, even when I'm in different cities and I, and I'm getting to know somebody who is, let's say an engineer, as much as I'm excited by the fact that they do something different than me, I realize when we get to the core, some of our interests are different. 
which doesn't mean that we cannot be in relation. It just means that, oh, okay, our interests aren't the same. So I, I've always been very curious of that intersection of who you are and what you do and how much does it matter what you do and how similar that is to what I do and how much does it matter that you and I are in completely different worlds, right? And I wonder, like, even with your friendships, are you friends or closer with people that are in similar spaces as you? Or are you like, no, nah, my best friend's a nurse? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I have a really diverse friend set. Um, it's interesting. I'm I'm cool, and I have totally have like photographer friends and artist friends. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Um. But they really span the gamut. I mean, obviously, because my kind of output spans the gamut. But, um, you know, I was walking down the street the other day and, like, you know, sometimes you're, like, walking in New York and you're just, like, you're just walking around people that you know just don't care. And, <laughs> like, it's just shows the body. I was, like, you obviously have nowhere to be. You obviously are just kind of meandering and it's fine right there's no judgment there but it's like whatever and I realized like I'm actually interested in people who are interested mm, you know less. about whatever yeah. right so that can be like interest if, if, if that what you're interested in is art if what you're interested in is like early childhood education if what you're interested in you know is horticulture or quantum physics or you know, fashion or fashion design or painting or color theory or architecture or urban planning or like aerospace or like, I those all are interesting to me and I'm interested because you're interested. 100%. But if you're not interested in like living and like being alive, then th th that just is a barrier or a limit to like the depths through which we can explore. And I think that, you know, even though whomever I'm engaging with, we may have completely different um, um, occupations. I find that actually when we get to the core of it, we're actually very similar. And, yeah. um, and, and there are life choices that we make um, that lead us to certain places. And you know what's really beautiful is like everybody has a story and it's fascinating. Like mm -hmm. it is fascinating, for mm -hmm. instance, I was coming from a party last week and I was going to Brooklyn um, in an Uber and I started asking, I was there with my friend and I was asking the Uber driver just about himself, you know, his life. And he told me he was like 64 and I was like, wow, like he looked amazing for 64. Like, you know, and I asked him where he was from and he's of like Pakistani origin, but from Long Island, his parents immigrated here and you know, and then I, you know, I asked him about his family and he told me about, you know, his wife and some of his kids. And then he started to tell me about like how he actually had a dream to be a pilot, but then he um, failed the exam or he missed the qualifying, you know, score by six points. And then he was super disappointed in himself. And so he decided to like go work on his father's farm in like Saudi Arabia and then had this arranged marriage but then had seven kids and then his wife passed away from cancer and then he had another three kids and then he started adding up and then he was like yeah I have like 24 grandchildren and I was like are you fucking kidding <laughs> like what 
Like what? Wow. You know, and I like almost started crying because I'm like, I mean, this is crazy to me. I was like, you're bro, like you're a fucking king. And I'm honored to even be in the car with you because when we talk about impact, mm. I'm like, I can go take a photo or I can like go curate a show and like that's cute and everything. But like you literally have at at present count have given 24 souls an opportunity to exist. And you've made an impact that you literally will, you actually won't even live to see the impact that you've made. That's how vast it is. And I was like, and I hope you know that and feel that on a very cellular level, that that is a type of wealth that is not easily replicated. And it really showed me internally that we all all have a way to contribute. We all have a way to make impact and there's so many different ways to do it. And so, you know, but, but for me, that's fascinating. And this, and, and it's crazy because then you think about like hierarchies of value in a capitalist system. And it's like, it's crazy that you're driving me. Like, this doesn't make sense to me. And like, but this is just the role we're playing in this kind of like capital acquisition game. And in that, you're designated as the driver and I'm sitting here paying you for this service. And that shit is crazy to me. Like yeah. it was just wild. And yeah. like, and that's just an Uber driver. Like, you know what I mean? So like these things I think are just interesting. So that's amazing. And it actually makes me think of my engineer friend who I just brought up and I'm like, actually we do have a really great relationship. It just actually has nothing to do with our careers. We never talk about our careers. And I was like, Oh, that's something that's just different. Cause other relationships, you know, yeah. Anyway, you just made me think of that as well. So as you describe that, what came to mind was, I would love to know what you think it means to be human. Like, How do you think of humanity and what it actually means to be human on this planet and this reality? Now, we're just going <laughs> to feel the whole time now. Come um, on, take me there. <laughs> well, to circle back, like... Um, you know, it's interesting. I really don't know what many of my friends do. Right? Like, I'm always surprised. I'm like, oh, wait, you do marketing? Like, it's so, like, <laughs> like, when I'm, I'm like, I literally have no idea what, like, many of my friends, unless I met them through work, like, I really don't know. Like, if I met you at a party or through a friend group, like, it's not a question that I'm, that I ask immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, what does it mean to be human? I mean... I mean, it's a complex and I think heavily layered question. One, because I think it's, what does it mean to be human? Um, What is a human? Um, Who has dictated what it means to be human, right? So if we are thinking about history and what has made us who we are in like contemporary society, um, you know, so we are descendants of, you know, we are cultural descendant of, you know, Western European imperialist capitalist patriarchy, right? So that is our cultural inheritance. Um, and then, you know, we can speak about, you know, being children of the African diaspora, like genetically mixed with a bunch of other things, like everybody is. Um, but the reason I I start with that is because we have to understand that as a foundation to understand that 
actually there are other ways to be human, mm. right? So how we relate to ourselves, how do we relate to culture and society, how we relate to nature and our idea of nature, that nature is something separate from us, that, that we are also not coming from nature, like apples grow on trees, we are also coming out of, right, the earth, right? The earth has is peopling, just as apple trees, apple. So, so there's kind of that understanding of what it means to be human and understanding that our separation from that is heavily dictated by our cultural inheritance coming from this Western European colonial imperialist capitalist patriarchy, right? That is one way of being human. And so, and, and what unlocked that for me was the writing of Sylvia Winter. Sylvia Winter is um, still with us in her 90s, um, a Caribbean scholar um, that I was introduced to by the architect Mabel Wilson, who I actually had on on my podcast, the Institute of Black Imagination. Um, and so I think that kind of goes to kind of circle back to your um, your prompt about like the diversity of friends, right? Like having that diverse skill set allows for like uh, introductions to other modalities of being, right? Mm -hmm. So so there's that. Um, but like, I think in a broader sense, what it means to be human is, I think, you know, if humaning is a verb, then humaning is an expansion of consciousness um, because we are the lens through which consciousness is knowing about itself, right? And um, and through that engagement with quote unquote reality or what we perceive as reality, consciousness expands. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just as the universe is expanding, consciousness itself is expanding. Um, you know, if we want to speak about a level of understanding reality or consciousness, um, it is understanding that we are constantly co-creating our reality. So what we experience through our limited perceiving system, right? Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. 
we also know that how we experience reality is limited. You know, for instance, we understand that the electromagnetic scale um, or spectrum light is quite wide and we visible light is a very small part of that. Right. But on that whole range, you know, in that whole range, you know, exist, you know, microwaves, ultraviolet rays, which are UV rays, um, infrared, right? That's all along that electromagnetic spectrum that we literally do not have the ability to perceive, which means that we know that around us, within us, and without us are things that we literally cannot perceive. And we know that. Yeah. So you know, so when we talk about like, what does it mean to be human? I think it's also understanding our limitations and even understanding what we think we understand or what we perceive. Um, and, you know, double tapping on like consciousness, you know, everything is consciousness, right? Like consciousness or what we define as consciousness is actually powering this whole thing. Um, you know, we understand that if you can, I said understand so much, um, but like if you get a microscope and you take a look at something that you think is solid, you realize it's actually not solid. It is a series of you know atoms and molecules that are sus temporarily suspended um, in order to create the appearance of a solid, and it's only solid because of your relationship to it. Right. So like, you know, the relationality between your body and the thing, which is why, you know, at a different temperatures, right, water itself changes, right, because of the energy that it has, you know, um, dependent on the energy that it has. Um, and so then we have to say, like, well, then what is reality? Like, what is consciousness but temporary suspension, right? That just like us, you know, being at uh, a beach and creating sandcastles that is what is kind of happening in our reality. That all of this, every single thing that we're witnessing right now, including you and me and this computer that I'm on will pass away. It is just temporary suspension of consciousness that will return to from, which it's came, what, from whence it came. And that was something that I learned recently. Um, I shouldn't say learned, but just kind of like became very real for me um, on a trip I had in August of last year, um, I kind of had this kind of like moment of existential dread. We don't have to talk about it. It was very- Wait, 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 like, bring existential what? You said dread? Dread. We can, you can talk about it if you want. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's not, it's not crazy. It was like, <laughs> I was literally in Brazil. I was in Brazil. There was an, my Uber was coming to take me to the airport to take me back to the United States. And I was sitting there with my friend and all of a sudden I just felt kind of like all the blood rushed out of me or something or like every mask that I ever wore just kind of fell away and I just felt very like it was very strange and Ooh. I didn't know I was like I I told him I was like you are witnessing a version of me that has never existed before like everything is gone and I have nothing like to give and I don't know what this emotion is I've never experienced this before um, but I felt kind of nauseous and I didn't, that was it. Like, I just kind of felt nauseous and very much felt this kind of chasm between who I was currently and what the life I was stepping into. Like, I really kind of felt this chasm and, um, 
had this thought in this moment. Like I knew like on my way to the airport, I was going to be right as rain. But mm-hmm. in that moment, I felt um, this kind of existential dread. And I read this book by Sartre called Nausea um, a while ago. And I read it. I thought it was very interesting. I thought this was cool. I had never really embodied that feeling. And I was like, oh, this is what he's talking about. Wow. I mean, the book is called Nausea. I was like, okay, yeah. that this is all temporary. Like all of this falls away. Like, you know, me and this beautiful boy, like it's temporary. Like I'm temporary. Like my couch is everything that I will ever love, everything that I will ever come in contact to, con- contact with. I can't take it with me and it won't last forever. None of it will. Even the story of the United States, even the earth, like all of this is temporary. Um, but on the other side of that is what we are. So then, so then the, the, the question is, what are we promised in a temporary existence? And what we're promised is beauty. Like we can still, the flowers will still be sweet. You can still have an amazing steak and it'll taste amazing. You can still fall in love and have like great sex and like view beautiful art and maybe create beautiful art. Like all of that is still promised. You don't lose any of that. But I think in knowing the temporal nature of it or the ephemeral nature of it, like hopefully like you can actually enjoy it for what it is. You know, what does it mean to be in conversation you know, with someone and really get to a place of like walking away change from that engagement because you're really just talking to yourself. Like that's all that's really happening, right? right? You're actually, you're literally have, you literally have vibrationally attracted this experience into your life with this individual or with this dog or with this bird or whatever. And that's just where you are. And like, you all are going to, impress upon each other mm. and walk away, right? Like mm. from that for however long, right? That could be, you know, a 10 minute conversation. That could be a three month long engagement. That could be a 30 year conversation. But like, that is what is happening. It's just you and you, boo. And like the game of separation is the game, right? It's the game of, you know, the game of consciousness is to take on different forms, but it's all the same thing, right? That, that you know, the antelope, is eating the grass, so the grass then becomes an antelope, right? And then a tiger eats the antelope, and then what was once antelope becomes tiger, right? Or like that's the game, right? It's the universe playing with itself. It's God playing hide and seek. And so I think um, going back to your question of what it means to be human um, is is to under is to, is to feel a level of like kindredship. Um, you know, and power, right? Like the the power of what it means to consciously understand the power of like manifestation and creation of reality, mm-hmm. right? To 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 test, right? To try one thing and see where it gets you. And to try another thing and to see where it gets you and to try another thing, you know, and to see where it gets you and to have the memory, right, portion that you can then look back and maybe take take stock of what experiments worked and which ones didn't. 
you know, which, which tools can address this current situation and which ones won't. Um, and I think, yeah, like, you know, getting to a place of understanding the substrate of, of, of consciousness and the ways in which you are able to um, manipulate it in real time, almost instantly. I cannot believe I can't hug you right now. That is so <laughs> unfair. I am, I am like, what did you just say? Like, and the, and the funny thing is I know everything you just said. Like, I heard you deeply. I felt you even deeper. And I'm just so overwhelmed by the fact that in one reality, like in one lifetime, I can literally change my realities. And I say that to say, the version of me that hears you right now is so different than the version of me from five years ago. I wouldn't have been able to hear you as clearly as I do right now. And that's because of my understanding of consciousness, my understanding of what this human reality is. And that's why I was so excited to ask you what you thought it was and what you experienced and how you see it. And I can tell by your work of what you are questioning and curious about, but I also was like, I want to verbally hear how this extension of me as I am an extension of you sees it sees it right and um you were raised in a religious space and I was as well and I I would love I feel like you're the perfect person to share this with for me I did not I've, I've been Christian I was Christian my whole life up until two years ago and that veil of taking off a religion and I wouldn't say even replacing it with spirituality because spirituality was always behind it I just didn't see it I was experiencing religion and not spirituality right and spirituality led me to you and led me to this moment and led me to be able to hear you as clearly as I just heard you and feel you as deeply as I just felt you. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? <laughs> like, you know. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And so I... I'm even wondering for you who just gave such an incredible download is what I felt like that was. You also were raised in a religious space and, and did that affect how you see the world or how you question the world? Or did you just get here? <laughs> like, how'd you Oh get no, baby, no, this is, this is work. <laughs> yes, this sir, is it is. Life, this is what life <laughs> offers, right? Um, so, you know, a real getcha gotcha is to like, you know, take off like the shackles of like religion, which is really, I think, ultimately at its root level, an access point, right? Like mm. it is a set of tools to kind of maybe access something. Um, but then to go back and then read the Bible after like this other thing. And then you're like, oh, wait, bitch. like, who knows? <laughs> there's a whole other level, right? There's a whole other reading of some of these spiritual precepts that are, you know, encoded in these books, right? These holy books. Um, but yeah, I think, I think what growing up in the church allowed for was like a colloquial and um, unquestioned understanding that there, that spirit exists, mm. right? That there is a, a larger body of energy that exists beyond my physical body. Um, I think it provided access to the miraculous as a possibility in everyday experience. Um, 
And it's interesting when I, you know, listen to podcasts about, you know, like, I don't know, entrepreneurship or like leadership or whatever. And they talk about like, you know, gratitude and like meditation and like all these things. And I'm like, that sounds a lot like what we did in church. Like, you know, like, how do you pray? First, you thank God for the life you're given. And they like, you know, it sounded like a lot of the stuff we were already doing, you know, in church, but we were calling it something else. There was also this very much, this very, this, um, this understanding of like the power of prayer, right? That, that I as a human being can align myself with a desire and it was understood that I needed to walk as if the thing I was praying for was already in existence before it arrived right and that mm. is what faith is called right that's Hebrews 11 1 um, you know faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen which sounds a lot like manifestation right like it sounds like a lot of the you know, what we're talking about, like manifestation, right? right? That right. that anything that we desire, we only desire because we think we'll feel better in the having of it, in the acquisition of it. And so the real job is actually to align yourself with the feeling that you want, that you think this thing or this person or opportunity will give you. And if you can do that, then you'll realize you actually didn't need the thing or the person because what you were after was the feeling. And then what's crazy is then once you lock yourself to the feeling, then the thing you want to arrive, right? But you don't need it at that point, right? Because you already got there. So the guy. That, I think what religion <laughs> the guy. I think that's what religion allowed for. Um yeah. you know, and then I think if we're talking about um what is it what it means to be human, you know, if you talk if you look at the teachings of Jesus, what Jesus always did was give people back their power. That's all he ever did, you know? And I think that through, you know, you know, the Council of Nicaea and like whatever and people's power grabs, whatever, like they saw that this religion, particularly Christianity, could be wielded as a tool for control. Um, but if you really look at at least what Jesus is speaking about, like he always says, by your faith, you've been healed, right? Like he always gave it back to the person. And so if anything, Jesus was a mirror for individuals to recognize their own power to yeah. heal themselves, right? Um, and so if you take that, then we re then all of this locks in, right? That you can co-create your reality. You can actually, um, in real time, shift the things you know around you um but that's like internal work and i think when i said like that's taken work it it's the gift that comes from being different it's the gift that comes from being queer it's the gift that comes from being black so you know at an early age i had to i was already questioning because it was not fitting onto my lived experience i'm like you say that like, I'm going to hell if I do this or whatever. And I was like, and this is not adding up. And so you just start asking questions. But if I was in quote unquote, full alignment with what the Bible said I was supposed to be or how I was supposed to live, you wouldn't question it, right? You're like, yeah, of course. Yeah, I was supposed to, you know, marry a woman and like, whatever. Uh, you're not, you're not doing that. Oh, weird. That's weird. Like, you know what I mean? And so I'm already questioning it. And then, you know, being black and, you know, the society, you know, um, um, W.E.B. Du Bois opens um, 
souls of black folk with the phrase like, how does it feel to be a problem? Um, and so you began to move through the world and understand that this thing that you're calling me or what I need, however I need to show up in places or what I need to prove is it does not fit onto my lived experience, right? Like James Baldwin says that, you know, I've known and I've always known um, that I'm not a nigger, right? He's like, in America, we have this thing called a nigger. <laughs> and black people didn't invent it. Mm. White people did. And mm. so it's actually, it's like, and if our reality are just internal projections, then white people need to figure out why they needed a nigger because I'm not one. So that's on y'all to figure out, right? And so understanding that, like you start to question the systems, right? You start to ask other questions, which then unlock other, you know, modalities of being. Um, and so it's that constant pursuit, again, of kind of like getting down to what are we talking about, right? Because we just had this entire conversation about consciousness and reality and what it means to be human. So then what the hell are we talking about if you look at me and you call me black or white? It feels very basic at that point. It feels very surface um, and very childish um, and undeveloped actually to talk about the world through the lens of like race and or black and white when we know that underneath that reality is something else that's going on. And so, you know, and if you look at me and you call me black and you know what black looks like, right? Which is like the t-shirt that I'm wearing right now and I look at you and I call you white, but I know what white looks like, but you're really like a peachish thing, like peaches color, then what the fuck are we talking about, right? Like what, what, what is the mechanism that is allowing us, not even allowing us, forcing us to mm. look past our perceptivity and call a thing, a thing it's not right? Mm. Then you realize that it's actually a chimera or a, 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 some kind of screen in front of what we actually, like, I'm looking at you and I know you are not black. And I'm going to say she's black. It's like a, a cat walking down the street. Like I've heard a cat. You're like, where are all these cows out in the street? Like you see all these cows? It's crazy. This is crazy. Who let the cows out? Like, it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, mm. but if we don't, if we don't, see that then you're always going to be stuck reacting to ghosts right mm -hmm. and if you're punching at air you're never going to make impact so you're never going to get at the thing and that's why you know i think i've landed at this place of design because i realized oh these are design structures right these mm -hmm. are systems these are stories these are um um you know, the, the, the shadows on Plato's cave. And, um, you know, there's this guy, um, Ludwig Feuerbach, who is this like 19th century philosopher and like theologian. And he says, you know, there's a preference for the sign versus the thing signified. And that's what people are reacting to. Like, you know, I talked to somebody and they were like, oh, I'm from Haiti. And I was like, okay, Okay, that's interesting. And then he started talking. Oh, oh, he said he was half Haitian, half Dominican. And I was like, okay, first of all, that's one island. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. <laughs> that's the same place, actually. And the only thing that divides it is a story we keep telling ourselves, right? There is no, there is no physical change between the border of Haiti and DR. 
it's all one fucking place. The only reason that those two quote unquote countries have had different outcomes are the stories that not only they tell themselves about themselves, but the stories they've been told about themselves and our, our desire. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, this is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Or need to uphold those stories, right? Mm. But when you realize that that is just as thin and just as immaterial as race, you can lift that shit right the fuck up and just make a completely different decision now. Like, so that's- It's that's, very light. That is where I am sitting with this, like, I have, okay, I have this idea in my head and I'd love to get your take. How do you hold space for the truth that we know, and you've said it so clearly, at least three times that I just heard, race is a social contract. We know it, we know it, we know it, we know it, right? How do you hold space for that truth? And at the same time, as what people identify you as, as a Black creative or a powerhouse in the Black, you know, that's pushing Black imagery and Black thought forward, you're doing both things at the same time. You're honoring the fact that you know race is a construct and at the same time, still pushing Black images and, and Black thought forward. How are you holding space for both of those nuances? James Baldwin has a quote um and he says the only way to navigate the world is to know the worst things about it mm. and you know for me that means that you have to meet people where they are right and and really not from a place of judgment that you know it's easier to speak to culture in the culture right and if you don't understand those levers then how can you ever push anything forward, right? And and I think that's okay, right? Like for me, there's not a level of judgment attached to that. It's just understanding like, for instance, if I am going to, I'm just pulling this out of my ass. Like if I'm going to Paraguay and I want to, you know, help and like maybe I want to build a hospital or something, like, and I keep trying to tell people that this color is red. And culturally, I learned that you all have 20 different versions of the color red in your vocabulary. Like, despite what how I think or how I know, like my what I'm trying to do is work with y'all. So I need to understand how y'all understand the world, right? Mm. I need to lock into that in order to exist in this space. And that's okay, right? Like, that's okay. And so it's just, you know, knowing about the world in which you exist and knowing that, you know, if we are, if we are, you know, and that, and that, and that is what, you know, life is about, right? Like, you know, you have writers like a Dostoevsky who's writing about, you know, Russia and like the, you know, 1900s. And there's a story that Russia gives him access to. And he wants to speak, you know, to Russian people, even though like obviously many of us have read his works, but like that is a part of 
like his identity and his thing, right? And, you know, as much as I know that America is not, is that America is an idea, the idea still has real consequences, right? It still has real impact on people's lives. And if I'm trying to do that, like if I'm trying to work within that mainframe, then I need to understand it and use those levers. Like I, to, to, to convince 33 million people that, you know, you co-create your reality and everything is just temporary suspension of consciousness, baby, okay, cool. Like, hoes are trying to do that shit for centuries. Like, oh no. <laughs> Let me talk, like, let's help you, like, I don't know, you know, get money for your farm. Like, let's give you a sense of, like, worth in the world. Right. Like, let's help sure. you understand, like, how much power you actually have circulating within you. Um, and that's and that's it, right? And and the story of America is very interesting because it allows for a lot of different things to happen in these quote unquote like United States, right? Um, and sometimes it's fun fun to play with putty, you know. Do you think people are afraid of that power? I, feel like I think most people is. are afraid of their power. Why do you think so? Because it's a lot, and it and it puts them on the hook. And I think that's how Jesus ended up being um, considered more God than human, because, you know, if Jesus is human and divine, well, I mean, girl, so are we, right? So if he, right, if we're talking about like historical Jesus and, and kind of what he meant to people, um, if we really are like that, then that means that there is a version of ourselves that we can walk through the world in and exist in. But if we make Jesus more God than human, then it puts us off the hook. It like, it lets us off the hook. Cause it's like, oh, child, he was God, y'all. Like he was, like he was doing all this other stuff and I, I can't do that, right? Like I don't have that, right? And so, um, you know, because with the power comes responsibility. Responsibility, you mm -hmm. know, for yourself and how you move through the world and um but i also think that it's really beautiful because it's the contract we all signed to come here right mm -hmm. to have those challenges you know to um suffer those losses and to also again like have access to like this beauty i mean like it's kind of wild to understand mm -hmm. that like we're literally moving through sheets of time, like all, all day, like it's insane. Like it's insane, like the mainframe of life and, you know, the structures um, that we find ourselves in both, you know, socially and in the built environment. Um, and I have this quote that I put on my website, which is not really a website. I just really needed to change things around. And so I just put up two pages and it was like, girl, I'll get to the rest later. But <laughs> on the page, the, the final page, I just have this quote that's like, what will you do now knowing what you now know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the question, right? That is what it means to be present. Because that's all you that really have. In your, in your own life? You're constantly answering it because you're constantly in the present and you're constantly growing. Like, you know, if you answered that question, prior to this conversation, I'm sure you might have a different answer after this conversation. So that is the constant, right, 
evolution of self is what will you do now knowing what you now know and so you know as we unveil you know histories of this country and you know understanding that like you know the capital riots on january 6th was actually not our first riot or storming of a government building right mm-hmm. there was one that happened in the 1800s mm-hmm. um when you know after reconstruction and 100 people were killed like once we understand that you know the question then is what will you do now knowing what you now know um if we have you know this understanding of you know whiteness and you know white supremacy and like you know white people getting and again now i'm using the contract terms right, but right, like, right, right. yeah but like you know having a reckoning right with like the history you know of this country what i also understand is whoever you are right now in like this context, you did not directly cause anything that happened prior to your arrival here. There's no way that you could have. However, it is incumbent on you to understand what came before and how you got here. And then the question is, what will you do now knowing what you now know? Mm. Right? If you now know like how fucked up this country is, what are you going to do now? How are you going to address people? How are you going to look at your, you know, your, you know, executive board? How are you going to, you know, relate to the person, you know, who's driving the bus or like bagging your groceries or, you know, how are you going to relate to the people at your fucking country club or, you know, who come over for a barbecue? What will you do now knowing what you now know? Like, that's it. Like, that's it. In this reality, people refer to you a lot as a Black creative or first Black creative, you know, obviously your Vanity Fair cover and all these incredible accomplishments. But the weight of Black creative, it always has a responsibility and it has a lot of expectations, whether it comes from Black people or white people, using the conversation that we're, we're talking about. Do you feel that's a burden or do you feel liberated in that? It's the burden of liberation. <laughs> oh my god wait it's hold up <laughs> wait say that again say that again and then and take us there so there is um a brazilian philosopher called paulo freire um and he has a book called pedagogy of the oppressed and in it he says and i found this troubling at first and, I, and then it made sense but he says the burden of lib pardon me the burden of liberation is on the oppressed not the oppressor because only the strength built by being oppressed do you have the power to liberate everyone. And what I love about the book is that he really divides the world into the oppressed and the oppressor, because that's a much more accurate reading and or lens through which to understand the powers that be, because that relationship exists the world over, right? The whiteness or blackness construct, that doesn't go that far outside of the U.S., barely into you know it goes into europe at points but like baby that's i mean it, you go right. to China and you're just like they don't like go like, like what like it, th- that's a very geographic um lens through which to see the world but if you talk about the oppressed and the oppressor you're seeing that everywhere that's how you can have like an instars happening in nigeria which is like also about police shootings in a majority black country right mm. like we didn't talk about that that like what we're really talking about is state 
the state and the citizen, state power and the citizen, like the oppressed and the oppressor, right? The oppressor class and the oppressed. That is the relationship, not black and white, right? It's fleshed out as black and white in this country, but it's really this relationship between the oppressed and the oppressor that is replicated the world over. So the reason I say it's the burden of liberation, right? It, you know, Paulo Freire says that, um, you know, again, that it's incumbent actually on the oppressed, you know, to liberate. And he says that, um, that the act of liberation is not about a transfer of power from the oppressor to the oppressed, because then the oppressed just become the new oppressor, right? I.e. state of Israel, right? Um, it, but it's actually about a restoration of humanity because by restoring humanity to those from which it was taken, you also restore humanity to those who lost it in the taking. And so, um, to answer your question about, you know, burden of being black or whatever, like it's not a burden at all for me. I can only speak for my constitution and, um, well, not necessarily being black. Cause that's definitely not the burden. It's the identification of first black photographer. Oh, first black yeah, child, it's fine. Like, it's <laughs> fine. Like, you know, like at the end of the day, like, and I've, I've said it previously in interviews, like just because I was the first, first black photographer, to shoot a cover for Vanity Fair does not mean that I was the first black photographer who could have shot a cover for Vanity Fair. Mm -hmm. So me being the first black photographer is really more about time and place and happenstance more than any like innate ability. And so mm -hmm. that's something that I'm very clear about. Right. Um, I may, you know, many of us could be the first and if, and if that's something that gives, um, you know, people hope, um, amazing right? right um i do understand that you know kind of maybe having this moniker um puts a level of expectation upon me right to perform or show up in a certain way um and it's something that i really that i think about but it's not anything i like walk into a room with um because I think my job is just to become the best version of myself. And in that process, like hopefully I'll meet what other people's expectations are, but I'm actually not really considering that. Like I, but I do think about legacy. You know, I do think about stories, right? Like I try to be the person that I couldn't find for myself as a young queer kid in St. Louis, right? And try to create you know, that tribe of mentors, like, like through my podcast or, um, you know, through, you know, my project, the Institute of Black Imagination, like with these books, like, how do we fill in the gaps, right? How, since we historically have not controlled those methods of distribution and exhibition of information, how can I help fill those gaps? How can I be the keeper, if need be, of legacies that may be lost right because there was no plan for what would happen to people's stuff when they passed away or whatever like making sure that they're held together because i know 50 years from now somebody's going to be glad we did you know there's nothing that i mean because i because i've been through it like i've come to harlem from the midwest right completely indoctrinated in american culture 
um, society and history, American and and Europe, Western Europe, right? Like, I mean, what does it look like that a black kid is getting up before class, right? We called it zero hour to take AP European history. Like, that's when you know it's a problem, right? <laughs> but anyway, I digress. But I came to Harlem and this entire encyclopedia of lived experience was opened before me that felt so much closer to who I was than like Martin Luther King and Harriet Tubman. Like nobody told me about Zora Neale Hurston and James Baldwin and Bayard Rustin and, you know, Alma Thomas and Aaron Douglas. And like, I was like, what? (laughs) Wait, who? Like, and it should never have to be that hard for people to find out about themselves. Right. And so that's, that's what I'm after. And if in that process, I happen to become the first black photographer to do the cover better, cool. That's dope. That was never the goal. Grateful for it. Let's use that fuel to push everything else forward. Right. Mm-hmm. That is how I really view it. Right. Um, and yeah, so it doesn't feel like a burden at all, but I do know that um, being on the side of the oppressed offers another way of being right like that goes all the way back to that conversation we had earlier about you know what does it mean to be human well again we only understand ourselves as human through this very narrow lens but because we sit on the outside of it we actually have access to a whole other way of being which i think is that tandem relation which is why like you know, and I'm going to say whiteness versus white people, because whiteness is an archetype that can be put on by multiple colors. Mm-hmm. Um, but why whiteness is in a tandem relationship with blackness, because huh, blackness provides a level and access to a kind of humanity that whiteness doesn't, right? Like that, the dance, the boys, like the, all the things, right? Because mm-hmm. whiteness wants to be controlled and to wear khakis and, you know, to sit behind white picket fences. And in my head, I'm like, a bitch, that's yours. If you want it, it's all go for it. Right. If that's what y'all want, dope. Leave me out of it, right? But to be on this other side, right? right. Like it's like, oh, but that's the access point sure. to another to another way that my body can move. Sure. That's an access point to another way I can use this violin, right? Or this trumpet or sound, like you know, and that. And like, that's the thing, like, that's yeah. the juice. So as somebody who's always curious and stays curious, what is something that you've newly learned about yourself, either through a platonic or romantic relationship? I mean, the most recent discoveries that I'm conscious enough to own up to, because <laughs> they've been, you know, but um and like the last two weeks, two things, and maybe it's the same thing, is how much I'm projecting, mm-hmm. you know? Like mm-hmm. using my thoughts about individuals as an access point to my own consciousness and thought, you know, and realizing like, oh, I'm like totally just projecting on all these people. Like, like you know, and so, using that like what may I might find irritating or whatever like you know using that being curious about that and saying what does that say about you like what are you really 
after? Like, why does this person seem so attractive to you? Like, what kind of void is that filling? Um, so that's been very recent. Um, it's just like, just trying to take a step back, right? And reflect. Um, and then also discovering that I really enjoy dissolving. Like, I really enjoy dissolving in front of people and just locking in to like who they are, mm-hmm. you know, like getting rid of, like doing my best to just kind of like release my ego and just like lean into like the curiosity of the other. Um, and I find that I really enjoy that. Like I really enjoy that. Um, and I do it at a, in many ways, like I, I kind of do that all the time, but I think I'm now conscious of that and like finding the pleasure in that like that like oh it's so much more fun when nothing has anything to do with me you yeah. know like it's just like so dope to just like really lock in so it's those are in. yeah those are like the two most recent things that I've learned and are, and am are learning and yeah. yeah what's the last thing what's English <laughs> what is English great Mm, another another well, English, English well English is English is the design framework so yeah. like when I talk about design like I define as the technology divine I define design as the technology to bring thought into space and time it is the translation device from the immaterial to the material um so everything that you're everything that we are witnessing right now like for you all who are listening if you're sitting on a table or a chair you have on clothes or whatever look around every single thing that you are looking at sitting on experiencing was once a thought was once an idea in someone's head mm-hmm. and design is the tool that brought it into reality but it was all immaterial meaning that we are literally existing in embodied thought we're just walking around in solid ideas that's it the building the street was all once an idea in someone's head and that's it so that's like a base level but then also then you think about language and language then is design right because that is also a translation device of feeling impulse desire right and so then if that is design or a design tool then just like any other tool it allows for certain things and doesn't allow for certain things so what does english allow for and disallow for if that is a tool that we're using to address and speak to our lived experience and perceptivity Right. And that's something I've learned in studying other languages like French and Spanish. They have words for things that like we don't actually have words for, but get at a thing that I couldn't quite articulate or write. I didn't realize I was experiencing until I had the word for it. To say I get along with you um, is a reflexive verb of to hear. Um, and so I, if I would say like, you know, if I get along with you, like, meaning like I can hear myself with you that's what you're really saying when I'm with you I can hear myself exactly took me to a whole nother place and I was like oh and that's such a good rubric right like if you're like do I like this person like what's my energy with this person you're like can I hear myself with you that means we get along like right and I'm like oh shit like anyway so I think language is very interesting but you had a question (laughs) I did I did but I am just I'm so fascinated by that gift you just handed me because I def and us because I think 
being able to ask yourself that in, a, in the company of anyone, family, friend, the person you said you were in love with, the person you say you like, the person you're trying to figure out, can you hear yourself? Can you be yourself? Can you expand yourself? What is self? You know, that's a whole other thing, but it's like all of that plus above. So I'm just going to thank you for that because I'm sitting with that a little bit too. Um, we have a segment on the show called the Honest Gem segment, and I'd love to get your feedback on some of the questions we have for you. So first, what don't they really tell us about the unspoken contract between the artist and society? I think they do not tell us about the suffering that the art comes from. You know, we're, when we experience art or the joy or whatever the feeling is, right? Like art can come from many places, but there is a depth, right? There is a real engagement and interaction with the thing. And what we witness on the other side is the residue are the artifacts um, of that process. And so I think that is what they don't tell us about is that we are really just witnessing the output or the residue of a process. Love that. What, do, what don't they really tell us about maintaining multiple identities in a creative space? They don't tell us is that we naturally do it all the time, right? Like who you are at work is not who you are with your lover, is not who you are with, you know, a kid on the street is not who you are with a dog. And each of those interactions pull or call for a different part of you. And that to exist in kind of like multiple disciplines is not any different than that. Um, I think the only difference is maybe the amount of time you spend in said discipline um, that allows for an easier um, translation through that discipline. What, do, what don't they really tell us about creative responsibility? I think that they do not tell us that not everyone has the constitution for that responsibility. Can you elaborate on that? Um, yeah, I think that, um, you know, I, I look at someone like, you know, an Adele versus Amy Winehouse, how have they both processed trauma, mm. right? And what are the results of that, right? And, you know, not everyone has the constitution to hold that. Um, you know, a Van Gogh versus a Picasso, you know, and these are all different people, right? So it's hard to compare but what i have seen right in working with other artists celebrities is not everyone has the constitution for what that can hold and i think and and, and that's okay right like there's no judgment in that um you know we all are here to do and to be and to exist in ways you know amy winehouse is no longer here but she lived more life than most people right within that time so right. like multiple lives within so you know, or, or, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, um, well, let me not, let me not. Well, anyway, I'll say it anyway. Like, if you're, <laughs> you're talking about, like, if you want to talk about, like, impasse and soul and, like, celebrity and, like, all this other stuff, like, I think about people like Breonna Taylor and I think about people like George Floyd and I'm like, I'm sorry, baby. You, you can say Drake is whoever Drake is, but Drake could not in this moment cause an entire world to go into the streets and actually affect and shift and change culture and consciousness for millions of people like that is a type of power that is 
ridiculous, like to me, right? And so when you think about it, like what that soul came here to do was a type of impact that is extraordinary and mm. is completely not aligned with capital values, right? Mm. Um, and so when we talk about, you know, what does it mean to be an artist or like how an artist is constituted for the thing, like longevity isn't, right? The measure, right? Because what is time? Um, time is also an illusion. Time is also malleable. Um, time can also bend. So, you know, it's 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 trying to approach things from, you know, again, our limited perceiving system. But yeah, that not everyone um, can, I should say maybe sustain, sustain that for a very long time. Not everyone has that. Yeah. What's the last thing you forgave yourself for for the first time? Mm, you know, the one, <laughs> the one thing about working in uh, multiple disciplines, you know, at a certain level at some point, like it can become extremely overwhelming because it really can require completely different heads in order to execute. And so um, forgiving myself for not being 100% at all times um, or giving 110% at all times. Um, and, but then on the other side, thanking myself for developing processes that still allow for, you know, what is your hundred percent is actually well above and beyond what's required for the job, right? Like what actually meets spec? Because if spec is just to do something great for like a client, that they can walk away with and be happy with and it's going to shift things, then spec was met. Now, were you able to do that in your foolish, like flourishing and like get exactly the thing done the way exactly you wanted to get done? Like that's not always going to happen. And so being able to forgive myself for that, um, but then also thank myself for having a process that allowed for me to at least, at the very least, meet spec, right? And then I can take whatever frustrations I had in that process as just data Right? Because what will you do now, knowing what you now know? <laughs> Dario Calmez, everyone. <laughs> oh my God, I am, I'm still, I just cannot believe I cannot hug you right now. This is one of those moments and conversations that I am, I can see in real time how I was led to you. And I'm so grateful for mm -hmm. it. And I'm so grateful for you and for your heart and your mind and, and your soul for, for going through the journey with me and going through the journey you've gone so publicly. And I'm really at a loss because I'm like, oh my God, I just, I just know how we got here. And I'm like, oh my God, that means I also can see where we're going. And I'm just like, thanks for being a part of the human human family, <laughs> because this was just, this was such a gift to me. And um, I, I thank you for that. No, thank you. It was a gift for me as well. And, you know, I say like, that is um, what this is for you. Like, I can't, right? Like, I can empathize, but I don't know exactly what um, this conversation was. But, you know, it, hit, it hits at a place of resonance. And, and what that is, is the universe letting you know that you actually do create your own reality. Right? right? That is it. Like that's like the that's the echolocation, right? That's like the sending out and the coming back. And you're like, oh, I'm on the right track, or I actually am doing this 
yeah. and it's happening all the time it's happening yeah. all the time that moment that you think about somebody and they text you like those like it's happening all the time it's all the time you ask a question you get the answer even a year later it's happening all the time yeah. so it's just about listening and then taking the path of least resistance Thanks for listening to the Human Human Podcast and this episode with Dario Calmez. You will rarely, if ever, hear me say this, y'all, but I cannot fully describe how much this episode impacted me. I mean, I really can because I do have footage of me crying, but anyway, I'll show that with y'all later. I encourage you to take a second, if not third, listen to this episode. A lot of the thoughts expressed will definitely echo throughout this entire season. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and while you're at it, share this with someone you love or just someone you like as long as you share it. Stay connected between episodes and follow us on Instagram at human to human with Stacey Ike. I'm your host, Stacey Ike, and remember, curiosity is the pathway to consciousness, so let's take the next step together. This episode was produced by executive producer Stacey Ike, producer Paris McCoy, and associate producers Henrietta Bayemi and Emma Jackson, audio engineer Brian Schaefer, theme music pieces by After the Fall, music released by Chill Out Records, post-production audio by the Revolt Podcast Network, and special thanks to our guest, supporters, and the entire team at Human to Human Productions. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.